Well, here we are on our first Sunday morning, gathered together in Jesus' name to uh, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is capable of bringing hope and health and healing into our lives. Praise be to God and welcome. I want to extend or add my welcome to all of the warm greetings that have been brought to us this morning and also invite you to stay afterwards for a cup of coffee and some nibbles. I see we have extra nibbles this morning, and uh, in anticipation of a larger audience, we're, we're, we'd love to greet you and make, uh, make friends and, and shake hands and get to know you a little bit better and answer any questions that you might have about the gathering along the way. I was blown away listening to all the greetings that came from all across the country, weren't you? I mean, it was just marvelous to have that kind of affirmation and that kind of encouragement as we set out on this new uh, adventure of planting a gospel-centered church here in Windsor, Essex. Uh, I'm also extremely grateful to our advisory team for all the work they put in and, and the other people who worked alongside of them to move us into a Sunday morning format. Thank you very much. And also, we can't forget to say thanks to all the kids gathering workers who are now downstairs working with our kids. Yes. And of course, some of them are, are here because we, we work on a rotating uh, basis. And if you're interested in helping with that ministry at some point in time, over on the information table uh, on that side in your back right-hand corner, uh, there's a lot of information, some newsletters, some opportunities to sign up for ministry, and uh, name badges if you plan on coming to the, to the gathering. We like to wear name badges here because we forget. And, and so it's, it's nice to, to know one another and it's nice to be known, right? So that's why we do that. Well, let's uh, turn our attention now to Colossians chapter 1. From the opening verses of chapter 1, it appears that Paul, who is the author of this letter to the church at Colossae, has a particular goal in mind. It seems that he's writing this letter to reassure the loyal believers in the church as to their proper standing as Christians. What is their inheritance in Christ? You see, the church at Colossae was under attack. They were under attack from false teachers who were denigrating the deity of Jesus Christ. And some, in fact, were saying that Jesus was not even God at all. Though Paul had never been to the church yet, he addressed these issues head on, as we will see in the weeks ahead as this series unfolds. It was critical to him that this church of Colossae know that God is great and God is glorious. They want him to know God. The new teaching or the false teaching that was floating around the city had an unsettling effect on the confidence of these young Christians, as false teaching often does. And by the way, false teachers often target newer Christians because they're, they're still a bit shaky. And so, so, so Paul writes partly to reassure his readers, to reassure them of their position in Christ, and also to reassure them of the power and sufficiency of the gospel of Jesus Christ, saying to them, in effect, you don't need anything else. Well, what has all this got to do with us? To be honest, 
It has everything to do with us. Everything. Because the gathering exists to bring glory to God through lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. So we need to. And we want to reassure our church family, friends and church family, of our position in Christ, our inheritance in Christ, the benefits of the gospel. We need to remind people from time to time of those great and glorious truths. And we also are here today and every Sunday to declare the sufficiency and the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ as preached through the gospel of, of, of the Lord. So this letter of Colossians is for us. Pour moi et pour toi. And you thought I wasn't bilingual, huh? This, this letter of Colossians is for every one of us gathered here this morning. Because let's face it, there are times when we need to be reminded of who we are in Christ, right? We need to be reminded. And there are times when we need a little boost in our confidence. And there, there may be moments when a little encouragement goes a long way. And this passage helps us to stay focused and keep the main thing the main thing. Where have you heard that before? Let's keep the main thing the main thing. So first of all, Colossians chapter 1 affirms that we are on the right track. My clicker's not working very good. We're on the right track. So remember the context. False teachers had made their way into the church. They had infiltrated the church at Colossae, and they were denigrating the deity of Jesus Christ. Some were saying that Jesus isn't really God at all. And so Paul writes in Colossians 1, uh, 3 through 5, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So Paul begins by addressing his thanksgiving to God, because God is ultimately the one responsible for the virtues and graces of his people and for the ultimate success of the gospel. So he opens up by giving thanks to God. But then he very quickly mentions this triad of virtues, faith, hope, and love. And, and, and Paul often combines faith, hope, and love and it usually provides a basic but sufficient description of what a genuine Christian is. Faith, hope, and love are the trademarks of a genuine work of God in a person's life. If there's faith in Christ and love for the saints and hope in the future, then you're on the right track. You might, you, you might not be all that God wants you to be yet. You might not be at the, the point of spiritual maturity that you're headed into or headed toward, but you're on the right track. You've got faith, you've got hope, you've got love, you're on the right track. None of these three virtues are, are natural to us. Anybody naturally faithful, naturally loving, naturally hopeful? No, we're exactly the opposite because... Because of the, the fall in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 bent our hearts and our human psyche toward the negative, toward the evil, not toward the good. So none of them are natural to us. Faith, hope, and love are not instinctual. We're not capable of developing them on our own. We can't manufacture faith, hope, and love in our souls. So 
Rather, their, their, their presence indicates a, a genuine work of God. When there's faith, hope, and love in the heart of a man or woman, God is at work. May not have arrived yet, but God is at work. So let's explore these uh, three components one by one. First of all, a genuine believer is known first and foremost by his or her faith in Christ. And what Paul is claiming in verse 4 is that a genuine spiritual work of grace can be recognized by the presence of faith. But in particular, faith in Christ Jesus. You've heard people say rather flippantly, I'm sure, oh, I believe in God. But this is not simply a generic faith in a generic God. This is a particular faith in a particular Savior, and His name is Jesus. True disciples are marked by their faith, says Paul. Their faith is anchored in Jesus. Their, their faith rests on the solid rock of Jesus Christ and His gospel. Authentic believers are also known for their love for all the saints. In verse 4, Paul says, We always thank God, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love that you have for all the saints. So love is the fruits of faith. Love comes out of faith. Love is the proof that faith is genuine, you see. And this, this God love, or God-like love, this agape love, is something that the world knows nothing about. Oh, of course they know something about family love. People who love their family, their sisters and brothers and mothers and fathers, grandparents, of course they, they know the joys of family love, for sure. And some may even know a bit about self-sacrificial love, you know, laying it on the line for people. But they, unless they belong to Jesus Christ and have a, have a relationship with the Savior, they cannot share the love of the Christian brotherhood because that is a distinct and unique gift that's given by God to believers in Jesus Christ. And that's the reason we have something unique and special something that should be protected and cared for and nourished. It's this love, this genuine Christian love, this agape love that binds people of, of, of various cultural and national backgrounds together into one fellowship called the body of Christ. And in this very first service, on this very first Sunday service of the gathering, <laughs> we got that one covered. I mean, various cultural and, and, and ethnic and national backgrounds already represented in the gathering because that's who we are. That's who we were right from the very beginning. A bunch of internationally mixed, culturally mixed, racially mixed, and some just mixed <laughs> up people gathered together under the gospel of Jesus Christ and the banner of his love. That's who we are. That's who we are. And so hopefully the love that we share is an evidence of true faith in Jesus Christ. Because if, if it's just something that you're trying to manufacture, people will see through that very quickly. Love is proof that you've been born again by the living and abiding word of God. 
But bona fide believers also have hope in the future. Praise God. Let's have a look at uh, these two verses, Colossians 1, verses 4 and 5. In fact, would you read them out loud with me this morning? Ready? We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. So our present experience in fellowship with God and with his people is but a slight foretaste of what is to come in the future. It's a grand and glorious thing, this thing we've got going on, and the kind of love that we can share with one another, and the care that uh, men and women share uh, and, and experience in a small group setting. All of that's wonderful, but it's just a slight foretaste of the substantial realities which are reserved for the future, stored up for you in heaven. Our present experience is no more than just a precious foretaste of things to come. And I'll tell you, I can't wait. Even so, come Lord Jesus. <laughs> now remember, we said earlier that the church in Colossae was, was under attack by, by some false teachers and false teaching that had come, come their way. And, and people were actually uh, disparaging the deity of Jesus Christ. Some were even teaching that Jesus is not God at all. So Paul comes in and says, don't, don't be discouraged. He had heard about the situation, hadn't been to that church yet when he, re when he uh, wrote this letter to, to the Colossian church. But, but he says, don't be discouraged. Don't be disheartened. Don't be distracted. Say, listen, we have heard of your, your faith in Christ Jesus. We've heard about your love for all the saints and your hope in the future. Y way to go, guys. Way to go, guys. This proves that you're true followers of Jesus Christ. Faith, hope, and love in, in a certain measure in, in a believer's life is, is evidence that they're on the right track. And the best is yet to come. Well, missionary Karen Watson left a, a letter with her pastor before going to Iraq a few years ago. She went to uh, be involved in distribution of humanitarian aid, but she was actually gunned down in the country where she went to serve. The letter he read began, you're only reading this letter because I have died. It included some gracious words to family and friends, expressions of love, appreciation, and then this simple summary of following Christ. Karen said, to obey was my objective, to suffer was expected, his glory is my reward. Karen's life was marked by faith in Jesus and love for all the saints and hope for the future. But that is never a guarantee that, that life is going to be easy or problem-free. There is no such thing as that. So there are times when we need to be reminded of, of who we are in Christ and where we stand in His grace, right? We need that. And there are times when we need a little boost in our confidence. Not self-confidence, but we need a boost in our God-confidence to trust Him more. And there are seasons when a little encouragement goes a long way. I called a friend yesterday evening. Just felt prompted, you know? Prompted. 
to call this fellow who I hadn't seen in a very, very long time. I know that he wasn't going to church anyway. And so I said, hey, you need to come to our first Sunday service of the gathering. Roseland, 455 Kennedy Drive West, Windsor, Ontario, Canada. Uh, he just lives down the road. But I wanted to make sure he knew where it was. <laughs> so I encouraged him strongly to be here this morning. I said, buddy, listen, you need to be here. I want you to be here. I think he was actually sitting at the computer looking at the invitation that I had sent out a couple of times this past week. Because he said, okay, I got the address here. I think I'm going to check it out. I said, no, no, you need to be here this morning. And he's here. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes a little encouragement goes a very long way, right? We all need to be encouraged. So remember that when, you, when we break for coffee, one, two, three, coffee. When we break for coffee at the end, remember that somebody you're sharing a cup of coffee with might need a word of encouragement this morning. Yeah, there are seasons when a little encouragement goes a long way. But if there's faith, hope, and love, then you're on the right track. Second major point that Paul hammers home now is that we have heard the true gospel. Remember, the, the new teaching or the false teaching that had crept into the church at Colossae, it also raised doubts in the hearts and minds of these young believers about the gospel itself. Had Epiphras actually given them all the truth? Had he taught them well? I suppose some of the false teachers involved in the false teaching were saying, oh, that, that Epiphras, he, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He hasn't told you the whole truth. Let us fill in the blanks for you. Had he given them a full and complete gospel? Well, Paul answers the question in verses 5 to 8. Let's have a look at those verses. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it's bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epiphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So right, out, right out, of the, out of the starting gate, he mentions the gospel again. Of this you've heard before. I think he's referring uh, to the verse before and this hope that's stored up for you in heaven. You, you've heard about this hope stored up for you in heaven before. Where did you hear it? In the word of truth which is what? The gospel. So he drives it home. The source of all true discipleship, the source of all Christian growth, the source of all of our hope, the source of, of all that brings help and, into a person's life is the gospel. It's the starting point for us. It's the only source of reassurance for believers like us. So what does Colossians tell us about this gospel? the gospel of Jesus Christ that was given, by the way, to the church of Colossae. By whom? Epaphras. And so Paul wants to make sure they understand that they really got the whole, the whole enchilada. When, when Epaphras was there and he preached the gospel, Paul wants to underscore the fact that they, they heard the whole gospel. They heard the true gospel. 
And that's one of the first things that the passage tells us, that the gospel is true. It's identified as the word of the truth. All other religions could be entitled guesses about God. But the Christian gospel is truth. It gives people certainties about God. It is the accurate, precise, clear-cut, well-defined, honest word of truth. Furthermore, the gospel is global. Verse 6 says the gospel was bearing fruit and increasing in the whole world. Well, it's global in the sense that it's a gospel for all the world. It's not confined to any one race or any one nation or any one class or any one condition. In that sense, it's global. Furthermore, the gospel is prolific. The gospel is bearing fruit and increasing. Verse 6. It's doing something. It's bearing fruit. It's growing. (laughs) And it's the plain fact of history and our experience that the gospel has the power to change lives and bear fruit. Amen? That's what's bearing fruit in your life. That's what's bearing fruit in mine is the gospel. Not, you know, stories about this or stories about that or all the other accoutrements that we've attached onto the gospel. It's the gospel itself that changes people's lives. And that's why we've said that the the gathering exists for the glory of God through lives changed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. One night before Christmas, Clay and Velma stepped onto their front porch to turn out the Christmas lights when they noticed a large parcel at the end of their driveway wrapped in plastic. Under the plastic was the wicker chair that had been stolen from that same front porch 18 years ago, (laughs) along with the note. And the note was addressed to whom it may concern. Approximately 18 years ago, my husband stole this wicker rocking chair from the porch of this house. I'm ashamed of his behavior and I'm returning the stolen item. I have since been divorced from my husband. (laughs) Probably not just because he stole a rocking chair, but anyway. I've since been divorced from my husband and have since been born again. My life has completely changed, and I want to undo any wrongdoing to the best of my ability. I know this chair is not in the same condition as it was when it was stolen 18 years ago, and I apologize. I now live in another city and am rarely in this vicinity. I realize the cowardly fashion in which I'm returning this chair, but the reason is obvious. I will not bother you again. Please forgive us. You see, the gospel bears fruit. The gospel bears fruit. It it changes people from the inside out. It radicalizes our lives in the best possible fashion. It's like the explosive power of the resurrection is released into our lives. By the grace of God, thank you, Jesus. We must also say that the gospel is full, full of grace. Verse 6, Paul says the Colossians heard the gospel and understood the grace of God in truth. How great is that? 
The, the description here is quite emphatic. I checked a number of commentators. Some of them say the same thing, and that's always reassuring. Uh, one commentator said that the word understood is a very strong word, implying that their grasp of the truth was a firm one. In other words, they, they, they had a full appreciation for, or maybe advanced knowledge of it, and so it was no ordinary or superficial level of understanding. I mean, these guys really understood the gospel. They really got it. They, they, they embraced it. They were, they were seeking to live it out, and so should we. Because the gospel's full of grace. There's lots to go around. I read a story this week about a little girl who had been caught shoplifting in a Christian bookstore, no less. Yeah. The embarrassed father made an appointment with the pastor of the church because he wanted to teach his daughter a lesson. So the next day, the parents and their eight-year-old daughter trooped into the pastor's office and took a seat. The pastor sat directly across from the little girl, and as tenderly as he could, he said, Honey, tell me what happened. Well, she said, and then she started to sniffle. I saw a book that I really wanted, but I didn't have any money. By now, tears are spilling down her cheeks. So, so I put the book under my coat, and I took it. Pastor, I knew it was wrong. I shouldn't do it. I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. Cross my heart and hope to die. Honest. Well, he said, I'm glad you're willing to admit that you did wrong and to say you're sorry. That's commendable. That's, that's a hard thing to do, especially with your parents sitting right here. But what do you think would be an appropriate punishment for you? She just shook her head. She didn't know. She shrugged. The pastor said, well, I understand the book cost $5. So how about if you pay the bookstore back the $5 and then add three times as much for compensation to make up for what you did? So, so $20, does that seem fair? She nodded sadly. I mean, she could see the fairness in his decision, but all of a sudden fear overtook her because $20 to an eight-year-old girl was like a mountain of money. Where was she ever going to get that kind of money? Where was she going to come up with that cash? Well, you might be able to guess where this is going, but the, the pastor used this moment to, to try and teach the girl a lesson about who Jesus is. So he opened the desk drawer, and he removed his personal checkbook, and he wrote out a, a check for the full amount, and then he tore off the check, and he gave it to the little girl, and her mouth dropped open in amazement. And he said, I I'm going to pay your penalty for you so that you don't have to. Do you know why I'm doing this? Again, she nodded, sh shook her head in bewilderment. He said, Be because I love you. And because you're important to me. And because I care about you. And I want you to know that that's exactly how Jesus feels about you too. Only way, way, way more than I ever could. My friends, the gospel is full of grace. And, 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 and we have access to His unconditional love and mercy. And every single time we blow it and go to Him and ask for forgiveness, He just signs a blank check and hands it to us. The gospel is full of grace.
And then we also see that the gospel is humanly transmitted. In Colossians 1 verse 7, speaking about the gospel, Paul says you learned it. You learned the gospel from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So you see, in Colossae, there was this human channel, a human uh, channel for the gospel to get to the people who needed to hear it. His name was Epaphras. There was a human channel through which the gospel came to these people. And in Windsor, Essex, there must be human channels through which the gospel can, can come to people. And I believe that God is calling the gathering to be part of that conduit of grace. So the people in the city of Windsor and the county of Essex hear the clear teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that which is divinely given must then be humanly transmitted or humanly shared with other people. We are the, the hands and the feet and we are the lips of the gospel of Jesus Christ in Windsor, Essex, and we must share the good news with others. So you're on the right track. If you have faith, hope, and love, if you have faith in Christ and love for all the saints and hope for the future, you're on the right track. You're on the right track. And you've heard the true gospel. And by the grace of God, that's what you will hear here, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. You will hear the true gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's all about the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. It's not a prosperity gospel that we preach here. Good luck with that. It's not a moralistic gospel. Just try to be as good as you can. Maybe you'll make it. Are you kidding me? Moralistic gospel sends more people to hell than anything else I know. And it's not a therapeutic gospel. Jesus didn't come just to make you feel better. Right? He came to change your life from the inside out. And so you will always hear the true gospel at the gathering, the gospel that's full of grace, the gospel that's full of truth, the gospel that confronts your sins and steps on your toes, the gospel that comforts those who need comfort. You will hear the true gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel changes everything. We believe it with all our hearts. So we'll help you get on the right track and we'll help you stay on the right track by preaching and teaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ. How's that sound? Does that sound okay to you? Okay. Then let's pray about that. Let's pray together. Father, how we thank you for this letter from Paul to the church at Colossae, a church that, a church that needed to hear that God is sufficient that Jesus Christ has supremacy and sufficiency, and they don't need anyone else. They don't need anything else. They just need Jesus and his gospel. Father, this very moment is a holy moment. As some in our audience may just want to transition their trust from, from themselves, from their bank account, from their financial investments from their so-called job security to Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Father, you sent Jesus to be our Savior. You also sent him to be our Lord and Master and King. 
And how dare we profess to be saved and disparage holiness or disparage discipleship? You've given us the whole gospel, the true gospel. Now help us, empower us, enable us to walk in it, to walk it out, to be obedient to it. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.